Genesis chapter 1 verses 9 to 13 are some of my favorite verses in all of scripture. For it's in these verses in the story of creation that we learn that God created all of the flora in the world. And although I basically have a brown thumb for as long as I can remember, I have loved plants and herbs and bushes and trees and all kinds of vegetation and living things. Can we really imagine a world without the incredible diversity of the flora that surrounds us wherever we are? Thank you, God, for all the vegetation on this planet. I'm just beginning to explore this subject, but apparently there are well over 125 different kinds of vegetation mentioned in Scripture. That's a lot. Here are some, dill, almond trees, bay leaves, beans, cinnamon, cumin, dates, fir trees, flax, garlic, mustard, poplar, saffron, and thistles are just a few examples of the 125 more that we find. And there's so many more mentioned from Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. And I was reading about some of these plants and where they are in Scripture. I was thinking about the fact, wouldn't it be kind of cool, although it wouldn't really work in Snowmass Village, but wouldn't it be kind of cool to, to, to create a biblical garden with all the plants and the herbs and the spices? It would just really be kind of fun. But growing up in the desert southwest, I, of course, became quite partial to all that grows in that arid land. I'm entranced by the variety of cacti and so intrigued by how cacti have adapted to where they live and how they often thrive in the roughest of conditions. Not a bad lesson for we who are human to keep in mind. I've also come to love over the years cottonwood trees, the kind of tree that is in the populous genus that live along riverbanks where they're flowing up or dried. Cottonwood trees provide such delightful shade on hot summer days and seem to make it through all kinds of conditions. But aside from cottonwood trees, speaking of the desert southwest, I love tumbleweeds, those things that smash into your car and cause you to swerve, those sometimes small at other times as big as a semi-truck things that roll with the wind across desert highways and backcountry dirt roads. There's just something magical, delightful, and even playful about them. And what I recently learned is that many tumbleweeds come from a plant known as the Russian thistle. Seeds from this thistle came from the Ukraine, apparently, and they were accidentally introduced in the, into the Dakotas in the late 1800s on flax seeds. And as a result of that, we have these things all over the place. And while thistles are adept at reproducing, the plants break off very easily. Hence, when they die, they blow all over the place. Well, anyway, this morning I'd like to travel back in time to another desert land, an arid land that was a troubled place. Specifically, I want to take a look at the life of a fellow who, who lived in that land and made a massive difference and went through a lot, to say the least. A fellow whose words all these years later have a lot to say to us in our own lives right now. And the person I'd like to explore with you this morning was a man named Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a worldview changer for those who listened to him and his messages. 
Well, Jeremiah, as some of you know, was a prophet 600 years or so before Jesus was born. A prophet, at least those who lived around and in Israel, as one person notes, served as a channel of communication between God and people. And prophets dealt with ethical and moral issues and issues of faith. And prophets would communicate on God's behalf. More often than not, prophets made people really mad because they challenged people, governments, and religious leaders and forced people to take a look at things they'd rather not look at. Their loyalty was to God, not to public opinion. And many prophets were around during the time that Israel was ruled by kings, and so kings were often the targets of the prophets. Well, historically, you may remember after the northern kingdom of Israel was gone, the southern kingdom of Judah was still around, and Jeremiah was on the scene at this time and had a lot to say to the people about the impending Babylonian invasion, an invasion that would destroy Jerusalem and send countless people into exile. Well, as the story goes, eventually the Babylonians did indeed invade and decimate Judah, and Jeremiah himself was eventually exiled to Egypt and at various times experienced terrible torture, beatings, and imprisonment. One person writes about Jeremiah, for Jeremiah, everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Jeremiah was in the middle of it all, sticking it out, praying, preaching, suffering, striving, writing, and believing. And despite the fact we're talking about events so long ago, I believe that the story of Jeremiah and his life and his faith have a lot to say to each of us. So for a few moments, while we can't nearly get into it all, I want to explore some things, and one thing in particular that we can take away from Jeremiah and his life. For those who were here last week, you may remember very briefly on an entirely different subject. One thing God does is to call people, and often God calls people through an interruption in life. God often calls people to say or do something, and this is true for Jesus and for his followers. Now, Jeremiah is a good example of God calling somebody. And when God calls someone, there were various components to that call that can be found in the life of Jeremiah. First, there was a problem. Second, God would ask a person to do something about that problem. Then the person would say, not me. Then God would give the person reassurance that the person could do what God was asking. And finally, sometimes God would give the person a sign that God was trustworthy. Well, this happened to Jeremiah. Things were terrible in Judah. It was a time of huge, huge crisis. So God calls Jeremiah. God says, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I have plans for you to be a prophet. Jeremiah then objects, but I'm only a boy. And God then says, don't worry, I'll tell you what to do. And finally, God gives Jeremiah a sign to trust God by using the branch of an almond tree. Well, there's something this morning that I want to talk about specifically about God's call and Jeremiah's life and what it has to do with us. And what I'd like to explore is a specific God call that God has for all of us, the same call God, in fact, had for Jeremiah. 
You see, God called Jeremiah, God calls me, and God calls all of you to do something. Something that can be very difficult. And what God does is God calls us to trust God regardless of who we are or what we're in the midst of. Said another way, God invites us, as he did Jeremiah, to live each moment with a decision to trust. And this call to trust God is not unique to a person or two, but rather shared by all of us who are here this morning. Now, as I thought about this, and while a bit simplified, a lot of people have pointed out that there are three basic ways that we can approach life. Again, it's somewhat simplified, but one approach is to live daily and to let other people, external circumstances, and what is happening out there and the opinions of others to direct our life. When we live this way, I don't take me into much consideration. My life instead becomes one of reacting to what's going on out there and beyond me. Another way of living is actually quite the opposite, in which my life is completely directed by my sense of self. Now, while God certainly wants us to have self-confidence, to recognize our gifts and to use them, and have a sense of direction that does not always fall prey to what people think, this way of life can also lead to problems. A life in which we don't really care about other people. We only care about ourselves. And if we totally reject what is going on outside of ourselves, we move into the world of narcissism, in which other people, other perspectives, and other lives matter little to us, especially those who differ from us. Another way of living, and a third way, as noted by some, is to live what's known as a theonomous life. What a great word, a theonomous life. And while the word can mean different things, can even refer to a form of government, a theonomous life is a life that is focused upon and ultimately directed by God. Simply stated, I can live for myself. I can live for you. Or I can live for God. Now, truth be said, most of us are a blend of these three ways of living, and that's okay. But Jeremiah specifically understood living for God. He lived for God, and as he lived for God, he learned to trust God first and foremost. Listen to his words from our reading today from a different version of the Bible. Jeremiah says, Cursed is the strong one who depends on mere humans, who thinks he can make it on muscle alone and sets God aside as dead weight. He's like a tumbleweed on the prairie, out of touch with the good earth. He lives rootless and aimless, in a land where nothing grows. Conversely, Jeremiah said, but blessed is the man who trusts God, the woman who sticks with God. They're like trees transplanted by water, putting down roots near rivers, never a worry through the hottest of summers, never, dropping, uh, never a dropping leaf, serene and calm through droughts, bearing fresh fruit every season. Well, here Jeremiah in these words is saying in essence that we can 
transplant ourselves into a different way of living by choices we make. We can make a decision to trust God. And we make a decision to trust God, we will be like a tree near water that survives even when the river dries up. We can be like a cottonwood tree that lives next to the stream bed, regardless of the condition of the stream bed itself. That when we make such a decision to depend on God, fear subsides. Jeremiah, in essence, goes on to say that when we lived or make the decision to live based on our own strength or our own whims or our own selves, we end up being like a tumbleweed in the desert. A tumbleweed that is carried this way and that. A wind over which the tumbleweed has no control. Notice in both cases whether the tree by the river or the tumbleweed Regardless, tough stuff happens to both. Yet how the tumbleweed and tree respond are entirely different. Making a decision to trust God transforms how we live and how we endure and how we go through the good and the bad. It is so important as I've shared this to remember that we are talking about trusting God from words that come from a guy who was whipped, beaten, mocked, put in stocks, thrown down a cistern, put in prison, and betrayed. This is also coming from a man who was known as the weeping prophet because he spent his life so much in tears. This is from a fellow whose name alone, many scholars think that his name alone means the Lord throws. Indeed, Jeremiah was thrown into a hostile world. And yet it is the same Jeremiah that trusted God. It's also important to notice some things about Jeremiah's trust in God. His trust never involved denying that things can be really brutal. His trust did not involve saying there is no pain or that bad things don't happen. His trust did not mean that he became a Pollyanna or avoided very painful feelings. Nor did Jeremiah's trust mean that he never asked questions. Jeremiah had all kinds of questions, as can be seen in his writings. He questioned himself. He questioned his self-esteem. He wondered why on earth his life was the way it was at times. And yet, he trusted God. But in the midst of his faith, one day he wrote, I'm doubled up with cramps in my belly. My insides are tearing me up. I never get a moment's peace. He also wrote, my mother was so unlucky to have me. And remember, despite his hard work, Jeremiah could not prevent the destruction of Jerusalem. Yet it is this same Jeremiah who trusted God, and it is this same God that calls us to trust him as well. Trusting God means we believe God does and will deal with everything in a way that is ultimately good, even if that good is not visible, or even if that good is beyond the horizon of this life. Trusting God means we know that God is love, and we allow such love to infuse us. Trusting God is something to work on every day. C.S. Lewis once wrote, relying on God, in other words, trusting God, has to begin over again every single day as if nothing had been done yet. Trusting God means being patient and realizing that trust is rarely something that is constant, but waxes and wanes. 
trusting God is about accepting that Jesus was raised from the dead and eternity is ahead for us. Trusting God means we focus on God more than worry. It means being open to surprises and twists and turns and life taking unexpected directions. Trust from God is also about holding nothing back from God. But now I need to add this. Trusting God at times, at least for me in my life journey, has been very, very difficult and challenging at times. You see, in my life, no way have I been immune from terrible things, tragedy, heartache, and pain. I have seen it all firsthand as a minister over all these years and experienced much of it myself. And I know that this true this is true for many, if not all of you, as well, over the course of your life. But I realize that when I choose to trust God, my outlook changes, my inner sense of peace increases, and I'm more likely to let go of control over things that I have no control over, which happens to be most things. Easy to do? Absolutely not. Choosing to trust God can feel agonizing, yet it is what God calls us to do. But what happens when we're overwhelmed and trusting God feels totally out of reach? I don't have easy answers, but here's a thought that I've shared in different contexts and many times before. And to help us get to this thought, we need to turn to the words of C.S. Lewis. And here's what he wrote. This is all about faith and trust. C.S. Lewis wrote, in one sense, the road back to God is trying harder and harder. But in another sense, it's not trying that is ever going to bring us home. All of this leads up to the vital moment at which you turn to God and say, you must do this. I can't. God, you must do this. I can't. What a great mantra to remember when our faith wanes or we are in the thick of it. I believe that when our trust is waning or hard to find, it is then that God invites us to say something like, God, I, I want to trust you, but I, I just can't find it. God, this is going on, and I'm not sure I can deal with it. Help me to trust you. God, you must. I can't. These words, God, you must, I can't, C.S. Lewis writes in another place, is where his life turned 180 degrees in a different direction. God, you must, I can't. This is not about giving in, it's about turning to God with all of our heart, mind, strength, and soul, and giving it all to God, which is what God seeks to begin with. And I love what Eugene Peterson wrote. He said, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope, with less of you, there's more room for God. As I conclude this morning, I pray today that all of us will find God in the deepest place of who we are. That it is from that deep place of who we are that you and I, with God's help, will moment to moment make the decision, make the choice to trust God no matter what.
to trust God who made everything that is, to trust God who is everywhere, to trust God who forgives, to trust God who raised Jesus from the dead. And finally, when we cannot trust or we're in the thick of it, let us turn to God and remember to say, God, I can't. You must. God, I can't. You must. It's when we're willing to do this, I believe, that we will discover deep, deep, deep roots. And as a result, we will learn to live more like a cottonwood tree down by the river than a tumbleweed that is continually blown this way and that. God, I can't. You must. And let us now take a few moments in silent prayer.